Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for your word, which makes the simple wise, and it brings an enlightenment to our hearts and an understanding on how to love our wives how to father our children, how to direct our families, how to move in the direction of heaven. Like you said uh, in the prayer, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth, Lord. Let us not wait for heaven to be about the Father's business. Jesus at a young age said, I must be about the Father's business. So allow us also to draw nearer to you, Lord, and to see the wonders of your grace in our lives. Thank you for life in the womb. Thank you for life until we arrive at the tomb, for we are all just one breath away from eternity, and that's why your word says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. You have given us another breath, another day, another week, month, and year, Father, that we might draw near to you and love our family and friends and to be loved. Thank you for the embrace of your spirit. Thank you for the cross and the redemption plan and salvation for, for, from Jesus who poured out his blood as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us. Thank you for the word of God that directs our steps. Thank you for your commandments that keep us away from the desires of the soul, the lust of the flesh. We pray that you prosper your word in our hearts, that we not sin against you, O God, that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that give forth good fruit. Give us an evangelistic anointing to win souls for your kingdom. First our families and then our friends and then the stranger that you love. Father, we glorify you and we celebrate you and we worship you in Jesus' name. And the people of God say amen and amen. For the last three uh, preachings, last three messages here, we started out with Isaiah chapter 3. Verse 1, for this reason, God withholds from Jerusalem and from Judah. He takes away from his people all the stock and supply, the warehouse, the storehouse. If you're saying, why don't I get my provision? Um, Listen carefully. The Lord is not one who removes or takes away. That's not his nature. We see his nature at the cross. He so loved the world that he gave his son. So if ever you think that God is not giving you, take away that, that, that um, perspective and that view because God not only wants to give you, he doesn't want to withhold, he wants to give you all things in the measure of abundance. If you're squirming around with um, deficiency and diminished provision, if you don't feel like you've come into the land of promise flows with milk and honey on every side. Don't, don't get upset at God. You know, we'll, we'll put a stop here, but I want to, Romans 8.32 says, He did not spare. You got to understand this. He's not the God that withholds. He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. That's an exciting scenario, especially knowing who we are. I know that I am overwhelmed by the goodness and the love of God. I, don't, I still don't get why he would give his son to die on the cross for me. I don't understand why the intensity of his passion and emotion directed in my direction causes me to be undone. I was up in Chicago with Pastor Palmer. We went to a pastor's conference at Moody Bible College. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why the intensity of my pursuit for you above all things? It's not normal. And then I understood I'm still overwhelmed by his love. What he did for me, I still, it doesn't register in my heart. So I don't even know how to give him back in exchange for what he gave to me. And some people might have it up here in the head, but it hasn't sunk into the heart. That's why there's still reserves. But if you understand that he did not spare his son, look at what it says, Romans 8, 32. 
he did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. How, how in your thoughts shall it be that he will not, how shall he not with Jesus also freely give you all things? What is it in your brain that says that God's going to withhold from you when he's giving you the biggest and the best? He looked around heaven and says, how will I get these people back? And angels, seraphims, all these cherubims, all these, these creatures in heaven. And he put his eyes on his son and he says, Jesus, send me, Lord, I'll go. And so Jesus came to purchase us back as the payment. It wasn't goat's blood. It wasn't chicken blood. It wasn't some sacrifice of oxen. It was his son that was slaughtered like a lamb that went to the cross without, without grumbling, without complaining. So in that action, which becomes the cornerstone and, and the reality of our faith, and that's why it's foolishness to consider any other attempt to be right with God. If I gave one of my sons for you and you showed up at heaven and says, I'm here because I'm good, but you're not good enough than the death of my son. I'm here because I have an orphanage or a hospital or I've been on missions my whole life. Well, let's put that on the scale and then let's put my son on the scale, which you rejected. And, and so here, his son weighs more than anything you could ever do. And he was given to you freely for you to accept. And there's still some people that would rather give money. Look at all this money I gave the church. Well, let's put all your money and let's put the death of my son and still your money doesn't even weigh on this. The Bible says if you were to give your whole life, if you were to burn yourself as a sacrifice, but you don't have Christ, you have nothing. And so it says there, he gave his son and together with him, he's prepared to give you all things freely. Going back to Isaiah chapter three, he says, God withholds, God takes away, God holds back the whole stock and store. Uh, the store is the part out front, and, and the, the storehouse is out in the back. The whole supply of bread and water. The whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water. You're a dead man walking when God removes things from you. And he's the one that gives life. He's the one that asks it back. We're all one breath away from eternity. Just one breath. If you don't get your next breath, you are in the presence of God. And so he continues to give us breath so that we can move in his direction. But here, the interesting thing in verse 2, it says not only the food and the supply and the inventory, but I will not cause the mighty man to be among you and the warrior and the judge and the prophet and the elder and the one that figures riddles out, the one that could reveal science and, and wonders. Verse 3 I will remove the captain of 50. The honorable men are not going to be among you. You say, I want my daughter to marry a godly man. And everybody says, amen. I, I, don't, I would be so hurt in my heart if my daughter married a fool. If she ended up with a guy who had no clue about his calling in life. And so... Um, these, these things are much too wonderful for us to figure out. But the provision of all these things are gifts of God. The skillful art, artisan, the expert um, enchanter, um, the, the, the man who's able to, to bring an expression of joy to the climate. Verse 4, he says, uh, in order, Instead of these brilliant men that can lead a wife, a family, a home, a ministry, I'm going to give children to be your rulers and babes. Those that don't know their head from their rear end. These are the ones that will lead your homes and your descendants. So this, this becomes crisis mode. Um, I just talked to a friend of mine. His daughter was about to get married. They were looking at the wedding venue and it just occurred to this imbecile 
that's watch. He's going to get married to a man's daughter, and they're going to see the venue. And he decides to tell the bride, your dad is an idiot. Those are not the words you want to use right before you're marrying a woman. Because she says, here's the ring back and I never want to see you again. Because if you disrespect my father, you will have no respect for me. And so they called off the wedding. Why? The guy is an imbecile. The guy's not worthy of an incredible princess. So I'm terrified that my daughter would end up with a fool or that my sons would end up with a witch. A non-virtuous woman, a, a woman who would be extreme in wisdom is a woman who fears the Lord. And then that woman is to be greatly praised because she's ushering her family into life. So I talked to another woman. She says, well, um, my, my family has been so hurt at the church, we're never going back. And I go, you, you're, you're destroying any semblance of hope for your descendants. Because the lifeline of God is that we might hear the word of God. And if you're not going to church, you're disconnected from the words of life. That's what they told him in, in John 6, 66. At that moment, because his words were so strong, it said many of his disciples Stop following him. This is the saddest verse in the Bible. That somebody would decide, I'm not walking with Jesus anymore. From that time, many of his disciples went back. And I want to ask you a question. What are you going back to? There's nothing to go back to. I don't know about you. I don't want to come anywhere near the spiritual neighborhoods I lived in growing up. I don't want to go back to anything. I don't want my kids, I don't want my grandchildren ever to sit, be seated where we sat without Christ. But these disciples went back and they walked with Jesus no more. So there's going to come a time and a place where everyone gets to choose. Will you go back? Will you not walk with Jesus anymore? And then verse 67, he turns to the twelve. He says, how about you guys? Do you want to go away also? How many know that if you're following Jesus, you could not follow Jesus? And some people says, uh, Pastor, explain that. I go, the only people that fall off a horse are the people that are riding the horse. How do you fall off? You need to be riding. So if you're riding with Jesus, you could fall away. And the Bible says there'll be a great falling away in the last days. That means a lot of people that walk with Jesus, that know Jesus, no longer walk with him. And he turns to the 12 and says, how about you guys? Do you also want to go away? What's the obvious answer to this question? No way, Jose. There's no way I don't want to follow you. Do you also want to go away? They answered, verse 68, Peter Simon answered, Lord, if we decide to go away or go back, whom shall we follow? And people are always telling me, there's like, oh, you follow Jesus? I go, yeah, how about you? Who do you follow? They're like, nobody. Well, I like the guy I'm following better than the guy you're not following. I like the steps that I see. I like the, the footprints. To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. In other words, you are our lifeline. You are oxygen for us. And if, we, if the line is cut, we cannot breathe another breath in this life that makes sense, hope, faith, and love. Isaiah 3, 4, we continue to see children and babes. Children will be your leaders. Um, I, I, can't, I, I still have problems with following a rapper anywhere. I still have a problem thinking that he, in whatever he does, is an answer to my world. I, I at best, I was in my backyard about 10 years ago when this rap um, combination of country music and rap is crap. Um, I heard it across the lake. But I was in my backyard and I was hearing like... I 
I grew up with my dad rapping at home. And so I, I drew near because I, I said, man, this father is lighting up this kid. I was across the lake. It was a couple neighborhoods, a couple blocks away. And I just got, I was like, and I got near and it was a rap song. It wasn't domestic violence. It wasn't a father telling a son off, but that's where rap begins because these boys are in homes and that's what they heard their whole lives. And so the expression of this music is just an offshoot of a really twisted upbringing. The cops and the killer and, the, and you. And I'm like, so when I got close, now I understood the makeup of this genre. And, and so these are the guys that Isaiah 3, 4 is talking about. The leaders of our day, whether you like it or not, are the inner city rappers. That's the music your kids listen to. That's what's leading this nation. I can't conceive that anybody would throw money in that direction and they're multi-millionaires. Really? Kanye West is the guy who is being remunerated economically because of what comes out of his mouth? The, the Cuban rapper Pitbull? Are you kidding me? That you can fill a stadium of young people and this guy comes out and begins to spew vulgarities. Words that, that you don't want in your dining room table. You don't want your daughter to be exposed to the degenerate expressions of a man without conscience. He's 50 years old and acts like a 10-year-old throwing a tantrum. But the Bible says, I'm going to withdraw excellence and eloquence and articulation. I'm going to give you guys that can't put one sentence together to lead your children. Because I was talking to a man today. He says, Pastor, last week he came in for advice. He says, I was able to sit down at home and converse without yelling, without getting upset, without punching a wall, without threatening murder and, and dialogue. It felt so good. I go, yes. Yes, it feels good to do life Jesus' way. And then your kids will honor and respect you. But here he says, babes and children will be the leaders of the home. I, I could tell you if there's one thing that, that, that was a reality in my home with my boys and, and Christina, um, the music saturates the culture. So there's, there's not one song. Um, the other day, Apple brought out a guy, he's a rapper named Drake, and, and they brought out his new album, and Apple did an association, and it ended up on my iPhone, and every time I turned on my car, Drake came out with his song. And I couldn't stop it. It's super twisted. But all his songs, who, who, who listens to that? Who listens to crap all day long? And so our kids, they know every song. They can't even help it. You go to the mall, you go to the movies, you go to their friends, you go to the, yeah, wherever they're at, and they know those songs better than they do worship songs. It's being so saturated into their brain. So these young men and, and these babes, and that's what it says in Ecclesiastes 10, 16. It says when these immature people take a place of prominence, woe. The Bible doesn't use many woes, but when it uses a woe, you better listen. And woe to you, O land, when what you've chosen to lead the nation, your king, is a child. Have you ever tried to allow your children to run your home? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's chaos. It's confusion. It's hell on earth. So the Bible says, woe to you, O land. I got to hurry up. Um, this is a huge introdu introduction. Um, but but it, needs, it needs to be established in your brain the why 
God formatted our creation. If you don't have the foundations of how God created things, and, and listen, when we started this church 24 years ago, people looked at us like we're aliens. Who do these people think they are? We're lost souls that need to find structure quick. Because instead of in structure, instruction, we had destruction, destructure. That means the things we listen to are making us disintegrate. If there's not a definition of leprosy that says the falling apart of body, uh, bodily members, leprosy is your ear falls out, your nose falls off, your, your limbs fall off. You can't grab things when you have leprosy, your fingers fall off. So in this life, if you're not getting the lifeline instruction of the word of God, you are falling apart. Your life is disintegrating right before your eyes. And you can't do, this is talking to a friend of mine. I said, man, as I see your life and everything about you, it's almost like brittle bone. Brittle bone is a disease where your bones start just, just becoming brittle. And I said, your life, man, is like, it's incredible because you used to be like solid and strong. And now you're brittle and everything is falling away. And the Bible says in Psalms 11.3, that if the foundations are destroyed, if you don't have the fundamentals, how the heck do you think you're going to put anything together? How is it you're going to hold things together when you put them together? And that's what happened in the last 12 years of this man who thought he went from zero to $25 million, and now it's all crumbling. It's all falling apart. You know why? No fundamentals, not founded on, on solid ground. And so the church, and, and this is what Nick was saying last night, we're the only ones that know how to build something that the world needs. The world has no clue, but we do, and our fundamentals are in Christ. Our fundamentals are in the Word of God. This passage of Isaiah 3 should be read to all your friends. God will withhold everything he has for you. You'll end up following children. You'll end up seeing the immature, the irresponsible. I love to have this conversation with young men. Pastor, I think I like one of your nieces. Oh, that's great because a lot of guys like my nieces. You're just one of many guys that like these girls. Um, but yeah, but I want you to disciple me. I know they're lying. They don't want me to disciple them. They want to marry my niece. Oh, incidentally, um, the day before yesterday, Annalie got engaged to be married. And so there's the brave young man that dared mess with my niece. He happens to be the pastor's son there in Lubbock, Texas. His name is J.T. Toady. Uh, he's the son of uh, Carl Toady and... Um, and Gloria, yeah. And then Jules and Claudia moved over there when Annalie was eight years old. So they were in the elementary together. And Jules got to be his Sunday school teacher and keep an eye on him and groom him. And so now he was brave enough to put a nice rock, man. He chose a nice, solid uh, ring. Uh, so yesterday we, we uh, what's that called, FaceTimed? And we said, congratulations, welcome to the family. Um, so they're, 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 walking she's finishing up her medical school um he has been trained up to be a pastor he's a minister uh, he loves the lord he serves the lord he's serving with his father um and and th these are the guys that make the best husbands when you're a good son you'll be a good husband amen so that that you press into that reality uh because a son suffers a lot so when you're a husband you suffer a lot and if you're good under suffering then then you're qualified to be a husband um but not, they're happy and they're living a, an expression of joy and promise and the fulfillment of God's plan for their life. Um, so these young men come in and when they interview for a job as a fiance to one of my nieces, uh, I, I look at them in the eyes, I said, listen to me, sir, you are so immature. You, you're, not, you're not growing up to be a man. And the Bible says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. But you're a little boy, so go and finish growing up and being parented. 
If you could honor your parents, then you could be with one of these women and honor marriage. But if you're irresponsible and immature and ignorant, you don't qualify for a godly marriage. You have to go and make a mess out of somebody's life who you deceive. So here in Isaiah, he comes back and he says, listen, I testify, I think it's verse 6, against you and your disposition. Because when a man takes hold of his brother in the family of his father, saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these things that are falling down. This, this, I want you to understand that the first verse where God withholds and withdraws his blessing and his provision, this is the reason why. Because when God wants to put responsibility on a man, and that's where the word man comes from, is the word hombre, and it comes from hombro, which means wide shoulders, willing to carry the weight of responsibility. And if your wife is the one that has the burden on her back and carrying the weight of the responsibility of your home, you're not a man. God has given you broad shoulders so that you carry the weight of the responsibility. I was telling a man yesterday, as a woman looks for man's shoulders to carry the burden, a man looks upon whose shoulder? Jesus. Because Jesus carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. That's why he's the premier model of manhood. He took all the sins of the world on his shoulders. So a man is able to take all the responsibility of his home. But when a man takes, a care, uh, takes hold of his brother and his brother says like this, he says, you take care of these responsibilities. You who have provision, you be our leader. You be the head of this home. You be responsible to lead us to the promised land. You be responsible for God's blessing to be at our home upon our children and grandchildren. And guess what he says? Verse 7, he says, no. In that day, he puts a protest. I cannot address your ills for I'm taking care of my, me, myself, and I. Do not make me a leader of the people. This is why God says, I can't give you everything I have for you because the structure is not there. The, 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 the skeletal frame for what I want to give you, it does not exist because there's a major component there. It's called man, who's called to be a husband and a father, who's called to have a marriage. You know, the, the, in that design, in that structure, if a man were to get with a foolish woman, he could not also do what God has called him to do. Because he doesn't want a man up and she doesn't want to be husbanded. talking about pastor husband yeah if you're a jezebel you cannot be husbanded and just like your children cannot be parented it's real a real problem so even when the man decides okay i want to take responsibility if he's not married to a woman who's able to express what god created from day one a perfect helper what does that mean well, that God has a structure upon the earth, and it's not, it's not, what, what are these called? Unions? It's not a fraternal order. It's not some institution of fraternity or brotherhood. It's called family. You say amen, but you don't have a clue that there would be a, a husband and a wife, a father and a mother. And children growing up in the structure of God according to his blueprint. And it's a spiritual union. People still don't know that husband and wife is a spiritual union. It's not a physical union. It's not even a social, you know, uh, contract coming together, going to the courthouse. No. You're, you, man, have to govern your spirit. And then you're faithful in the small and God allows you to steward your wife's spirit take care of spiritual covering and protection not for her to land blast and go in the direction of her sentiment because that that was a great downfall in the garden whenever the wife says i have an idea and it doesn't concord to god's idea you have a mess you see it in the garden with Eve, and you see it with Adam when she says, listen, I'm not going to have a baby. Just, just take, the, take the servant girl there, Hagar, and have a kid with her. Listen to me. Muslims, the Arab world, is all a fruit of that 
wonderful advice that Sarah had. So God, God understands. Um, the prodigal son comes home and he says, Dad, help me. And, and, and well, who's bothering you? Me. I'm my worst enemy. If I'm not in check as one of your servants obeying, I'm going to lose everything I have. In fact, he had lost everything he had. So to, to, to know that we are a loose cannon. And to know, my, my kid, one of my boys said like this. He goes, you know why I'm a part of a church and a gathering of wise men? Because I don't trust myself. For a young man to realize that he needs wisdom and to be around wise man is a contribution to his prosperity, it's a great blessing. So to understand that God said in the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. So in the fellowship of wisdom, you go further, you go stronger. So verse 6, Isaiah 3, 6, he says, don't give me this baggage. I, verse 7, I don't want to be responsible. I cannot address those things in your life that you need. Do not make me a leader. Um, guess what, men? The buck stops there. I, I love when a woman submits. You know why? When a woman submits, everything that happens is his fault. Hey, honey, what are we going to do? Oh, we're going to stand on one leg. We're going to go. And if, if everything falls and crumbles, she gets to say, this idiot told me to do that. This is a great scenario. When we taught, when we taught the first, first time I taught in this, in this church 25 years ago, people think this is something new and it's a trend of this church. No, you go back 25 years ago and I taught godly man or Peter Pan. You're either going to be a responsible man doing it God's way or you're a little kid that never wants to grow up. You want to live in Neverland with lost boys. That's your climate. So what happened? The day that I preached, right before Godly Man or Peter Pan, I had preached Godly Woman or Wicked Witch 24 years ago. When I preached that a woman who submits and stops rebelling and going against her husband, she gets to make her husband responsible for everything that's going on. That's why men don't want responsibility because they don't want the they don't want the result of everybody saying, this is the guy who made all these stupid decisions. But when I preached that, that was the first message, godly woman or wicked witch, all the women I felt in the spirit were like saying, okay, pastor, even though this is going to be a roller coaster, we'll, we're willing to do that. We're willing to side on God's format and foundation. You know, I started hearing something that was like this. I started hearing this after I preached to the women. You know what that sound was? The knees of the men that were knocking. I wasn't even preaching to the men. I had just told the women, let him be responsible before God for everything. And all the women said, amen. Now from now on, everything that happened, he got the prize. If he did well according to God, he would be rewarded and prospered. But if everything came crashing down and everything became a mess, he was the prize. He was the one that was responsible. That's God's design. I figured, okay, Lord, if you're coming into the garden because Eve made him eat the apple, then you come into the garden and say, Eve, where are you? He didn't do that. He came to the garden and said, Adam, because he was the responsible party. So in this, in this framework, I got to hurry up. Um, we need to capture this not as religion, but as the creator's design for life. And I think that God chose me because I was the worst of them all. I had no chance to have a good marriage or a family or finances or study or nothing. And if God's grace was sufficient to do it in my life, anybody could do this. Anybody can. If you understand his format and you take to the chase. And I love to see the prosperity in this house. I love to see when God's blessing, Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes you wealthy. It's not, your, it's not your economic wits that make you wealthy. It's the blessing of the Lord. 
When you line up with God looking down and liking what he sees, he pours it all out. And measures you far surpass any plan you have. And all we've been doing is delaying what God wants to give us. And he's withholding because we refuse to do it God's way. So God has that structure there. It's not my structure. A lot of people, well, King is so strict. I'm not strict. I'm just saying that God has a way for your prosperity. And I'm upset, obviously, that you're missing out what God has for you. The peace, the joy, the honor, the dignity, the worth of everything he's designed for your benefit at his expense. So why are we not moving being the light of the world? And I spent my whole life, yesterday when I was talking to this guy, I said, see that guy right there? I would tell his testimony. See that guy right there? I'd tell his testimony. All these are examples of the grace and mercy of God on our lives that has caused us to live an incredible life. Joey, do you ever, you ever try to enumerate how many wives you would have had without Christ? They have to be in the, to the tens. Yeah. They had no chance. Eight years old, your father calls you in and says, listen, I can't do marriage. And I'm not going to do family. And he walks out at eight years old. And, and, and Joey doesn't have a chance outside of Christ. Now, some of you are concerned. You're saying, well, the day that I die, what's going to be of my children? A disaster. Unless they come to Christ. The only hope is to put things together as the, the glorious book of life tells us. And it's talking to us clearly here that God wants men to take their positions. Um, I don't even know where to go from here other than I still have two hours worth. Okay, here it goes. Let's, let's cut to the chase. Colossians 3, verse 5. Kill! There's not a lot of things that the Bible, the book of life tells you to put to death. But if there's one thing it tells you to kill is to anything upon the earth, the earth way. Kill every expression of what you feel you're living like the world lives it. Kill the members which are on the earth doing things the earth way. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, and idolatry. Okay, we got that. Lord wants to demolish and, and make the groundwork sufficient for what's coming. Everything that's not God's way, bring it down. Bring it down. That's what they do when they go into a premise. We got to knock this building down because it's an un, uninhabitable. Can't be dwelt in. So you, you lay it flat and people says, oh, look what you did. I had a, such an incredible shack. No, you don't have nothing. You, you, you crush it. You lay a foundation, and then in verse 17, he goes from this point at the beginning, at the beginning of this chapter, he starts saying, kill everything that's not according to my design, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's a new beginning, ready? Everything is demolished, everything is diminished, there's no semblance of doing things your way, and then he starts out with the, with the introduction you, you're ready to do things in word and in deed, like the, do all things in the name of the Lord. You're going to do everything like Christ would have you. And, and you think, okay, there's so many things to do. How would I start doing all things in word and in deed as Christ would do it? Giving thanks, being grateful to the Father. What, what, what subject matter do you go to after this verse? What design what prospect, what is the wisdom, what is the, what is, or the resources? The very next verse tells you the first step in that direction. Wise, submit to your husbands. Why would be, this be the foundation of you saying, okay, I'm killing everything according to my game plan. I'm ready to do it all God's way. And then he says, you ready to start? Everybody's like, yeah. What wives submit. Ah. 
That's that curse word in the Bible called submission. Look at this quiet church. All the mama bears are like. It starts with you, mama. If you don't move in God's direction, there is no hope for the future. Now, the word submission is a two-word military term that's called sub-under-mission, you know, project or, or process. Come under and follow the mission, submission. It's a military rank. It says, take your rank. Quit subverting the, the, the order of God. Why? Because a lot of times when you don't submit, you're not letting your husband carry his responsibility. You're towing the line as a mama bear. And you're not raising up a champion at home. For the sake of your children, they need to see dad being a man. And when they see mama being a man, that's why a lot of these guys are going out to marry men. Same-sex marriages. So the fundamental expressions of God's order and prosperity is that there would be no divorce. That there would be no abortions. That there would be no fatherless children. And so as you see, the crisis of our day is that we have all disintegrated the format of God's fundamentals. And, and again, even the church has bought into this where people have told people, other people have heard rumors in town and stuff like that. Don't go to Pastor Molina's church because it's all about family. Well, let me ask you a question. What is the heart of God? What did God create from the beginning? What did God start out with the wedding in the New Testament and the Old Testament at the garden? And he ends with a wedding with the Christ marrying the bride in the last book of the Bible. Here, Paul understands that if we're going to, um, what, what it says there in Colossians, uh, at the beginning of Colossians, it says something like, put off the old man, put off the old man, put on the new man. Start, start walking in the direction of God. And then he ends the chapter by family structure. So he tells the wife in verse 7, 18, submit to your husbands as is fit according to God's plan. That, that's, a, that's a robe that you're to wear. There's a glorious robe to wear in submission. You reflect the glory of the Father. And then verse 19, he says, okay, if you're going to do everything in word and deed and do it all in the name of Jesus, husbands, verse 19, love your wives. And do not grow resentful and bitter because you want her to honor you as a man when you are a child. You want her to respect you as the leader when you are immature. When you throw tantrums, when you can't control your words, when your behavior has to be monitored, like if you're a little, what's that that's called? Attention deficit disorder. In other words, you forgot you were married. You, you want to go back to middle school and act like you have a girlfriend because you don't take the responsibility of having a wife, the mother of your children at home? Think of the last council, the last marriage council that, that, uh, uh, that Joey and Suleika had. The guy says, oh, I'm the type of guy. He's separated from his wife who's pregnant and has a child because he doesn't want to take her responsibility and man the post. And so he tells Pastor Joey, he says, I'm the type of man, if I see a car on the side of the road, I will stop and I will lend him my jacket. I will change his tire. And I'm the type of man that will not leave a man hanging. I'm not the type. And, and Pastor Joey says, yeah, you're the type of man that leaves a pregnant wife and a little child to go throw a tantrum. That's the type of man you are. So I don't think he's coming for the second counseling because um, he doesn't want to hear truth. He doesn't want to be confronted with repentance. He doesn't want to say, yes, Lord, you have a game plan. I want to follow it. So the game plan of God in the structure of the New Testament apostolic theological teachings is God putting families together. Paul is not saying, if you do all things in word and in deed uh, as to Jesus and, and as, uh, go pray. Go read your Bible. Go win the loss. He says, no, let's go straight to the foundations. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wife. 
put this thing together. And then he continues on to say, not only that, but verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things. Kids hate that. They want to erase the last part, all things. But some things. So wives, husbands, children, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. We're living for God's pleasure, not for our own. And God wants us to champion life. Not only husbands having an issue, but verse 21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger so you don't discourage them. That means your participation with your son, dad, is to encourage him. What's an encouragement? You can do it. Come on, I'm with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to see you through. You're going to be a champion. You're going to win. There's no chance for you to lose. And so a father is the ever perpetual inspiration, not like we grew up. You can't do it. You're too dumb. You're not like your brother. You're not like your sister. You're not like your cousin. When I was your age, I walked to school uh, in the snow, uh, back and forth, uphill both ways. No. No. I, I was telling, I forgot who it was. It was Joshua. And Joshua had a crisis now taking his floor to bar. I said, don't worry about it, because when I was going through it, I, I screwed up, and I had to take it twice. And you'll be delayed a little bit, but you're going to take it, and you're going to pass. So whatever the crisis is, a father gets him over the hum. So he always comes to the father because he needs that lift. Because this world, all it does is pull you down. So the structure of the Bible, and this is great preaching this morning. You can praise the Lord. You could, you could put family together. One of the inspirations, see this row of single guys, Brian, and Greg, there it comes uh, all these, Greg and Matthew and David, Oliver. They, they're like, Pastor, I'm getting married. I'm going to be a great husband. They're dying to start family and take care of a woman and take responsibility. They have David Carrigal rushing the platform to be a man at the men's conference. It was, it was crazy insane. Why? Because they know God is about family and they're ready to take their position. They're ready to man their post. That's the roadmap. Who was it that was telling me? There's just, just an encouragement and an inspiration to do life. And it's not the other expressions of life that everybody has. This guy, last summer, last summer, the gentleman plays the big leagues. He signed the biggest contract you could ever sign in the major leagues. Like $80 million because he's a home run king. And he says, Pastor, you gave me your book. He accepted the Lord. We led him to the Lord. He says, you gave me your book, and I read it, and I want to be that man. But when I come home, my wife treats me like an idiot. And I said, there's only one reason she does that. And he goes, what? I go, because Jesus is not in your heart. You're not living like Christ. Once you start modeling Christ, your wife is going to go, hallelujah, hallelujah. She's going to see the wisdom of God, the passion to follow our Lord and Savior. But you're not following anybody. And the people think they need to follow you, and you're lost. So in this world, I hope I delivered the message this morning that we must perfect these fundamentals that's called family. Psalm 68, verse 6, last verse, it says, God puts the lonely in family. Why? Why, why would God go and get somebody who lost, who doesn't know what they're doing, and he puts them in the structure of family? You know what the devil made me do? as I was growing up without the Lord in family, he led me to hate family, to despise this thing called father, to, to see my mom being husbanded, but not like Christ, to see that there wasn't a roadmap in our family. Our roadmap was money, was prosperity, was possessions, was trying to reach this nirvana at the expense of family. And it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare not to enjoy our prosperity because we really stunk at doing family. So God sets those that are single, solitude, in family, and that's why he brought you to the church, and you should honor this family. Like, like Joey says, there's, there's no greater family on the earth. That God gave us a family, treat it like a family. Don't, don't let the devil remove you from family. He brings, it, when you're in family, it's like bringing you out of prison. It says... It, he brings out those that are captive, bound. What's that mean? Selfishness keeps you away from family. All the people that decide to leave family, it's because they're being captive by self. 
in, they come out of selfish captivity into prosperity, but those that are rebellious, Isaiah 3.1, dry land, no water, no bread, no provision. Why? Because you don't do family well. On Wednesday night, I said some people showed up here, some man came up here, and he says, I just come from two churches, and I'm visiting your church to see um, what type of people you guys are around here. Because the first church I went to was Calvinistic, and they believed in the views of Calvin. And, uh, and the second church I went to was Armenian. They think that, they, uh, that you could lose your salvation and all that stuff. And, and I want to know what type of theology you guys have here. I go, sir, this is not your place, because here we do family. We don't do religion. Here, we love the older men like our fathers. We love the older women like our mothers. We love one another like our brothers and sisters. And that is a sweet aroma to God. That is worship worth doing. So, Father, we thank you this morning for being in the house of God. You have spoken fundamentals to the family structure. These men that want to marry our, our daughters, these uh, daughters that want to come into the family, we pray that you give them the virtues of wisdom that they would understand how to perfect husbandry and wisdom, how to be a wife, how to be a mother, how to be a father, how to be a, a, a husband, that, that there would be no greater husband than the husband you've given these women. That the refreshing of a wife that is virtuous, respectful, honorable, and submits, Lord, that's only your miracle. Give us wise women. Let our daughters see their mother's suffering, their dad's suffering, that they would come into the same suffering so that they could have the same glory. We pray for your peace, for your joy. We pray that you grant us repentance for having done it another way. We pray, Father God, that you would open the heavens and pour out the whole bounty supply and storehouse of the legacy that's supposed to fill the earth with your glory, that there would be wise men and warriors in our midst, that it would not be children and babes, our rulers, immature, irresponsible, not worthy to carry the burden of the glory that you have deposited in our homes. We pray for healing because there's a lot of hurt, Lord. We've done it wrong for too long. The rap culture is an expression of babes and young rulers leading the troops with songs full of cursing, of darkness, of confusion. We pray that you would heal our land, that we would be your people in such a time as this, that you return the heart of the father to the son and the heart of the son to the father, that you raise up a families that glorify the earth, that our worship would be the excellence of doing family at home 24-7. Thank you for prosperity. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for financial exuberance and uh, large prosperity and success would come to those families that line up according to your model of life. We thank you for salvation in Christ. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the house of God, for the family of God. We glorify you in Jesus' name and the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah! Go change the world in Jesus' name. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. I see you tomorrow night if you're a man. Eight o'clock.